Okay, we're going to start by praying first because this isn't my favorite thing on the planet to do. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for this group of people and I thank you for allowing us to gather together. Lord, I pray that you would give us imagination and creativity as we dream together tonight, Lord. That you would give us dreams that are big enough for only you to accomplish. And Lord, as we dream those dreams and we see you help us to realize them, that we would know your love and that it would cause us to love you more and love the world around us. In your precious name we pray, amen. So for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the type of culture that we want to create here at Open Table Community Church. We've dug into the concepts of keeping the grand story of God in our sights and then always moving away from, or moving out from there. We've looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and how that might help us in becoming a culture that seeks to engage in meeting and healing real needs rather than just in band-aiding hurts. We want to create our very own stereotype. When people think about Open Table Community Church, we want them to recognize a community that engages. Bill gave us the great word picture of filling potholes rather than dodging them. And then last week, Jennifer talked to us about plugging into the power that we all have readily available to us through the Holy Spirit. She shared with us that in order to walk in that power, we have to create space for him to change us and to grow us. We have to become like lamps plugged into electrical sockets and then switched on in order to shine his light into this world. Now, you guys all know that I'm a mom and that I have a few kids, 16 of them to be exact, and I love kids, especially my own, and I thought tonight it would be a good idea to talk about kids some. When our second son, Matthew, was young, he had what's called nursemaid's elbow. It happens when one of the child's arm bones isn't quite yet long enough, and because of that, the tendon that holds the two arm bones together and allows the arm to hinge, the tendon slips over the bone, and it's extremely painful. Thank goodness it didn't happen very often, and that they all grow out of it as soon as that arm bone gets long enough to prevent it. But from what I've seen and heard, it's excruciating when it happens. Whenever Matthew's tendon would slip, he had this way of walking, and it alerted Chris and I to to, to what was happening. You see, the way that you fix nursemaid's elbow is also quite painful. You have to turn the child's wrist and then lift their arm at the elbow. And as you do that, you can feel the tendon pop right back into its rightful place. Matthew hated that process. So he would plaster his arm to his side, holding it as still as possible. We recognized the stance. He'd be playing with his brothers, running right alongside them, one arm flailing around in the air while the other one was plastered to his, to his side, still and immobile. Usually Chris would call him over because, let's be honest, I'm not great in those situations. And he would ask him if his arm was hurting. Matthew always answered, no. <clears throat> not once did he ever tell us that his arm was hurting? But we knew it was, and we could see that the arm clearly needed to be reset. Chris would gently take him in his arms and hold him, then turn his wrist and rotate the arm upward at the elbow. 
The tendon always popped right back into place, and the pain was immediately gone. He would run off with both of his arms filleting around in the air, playing with his brothers again. Tonight, we're going to tackle a subject that I believe there is no end to, the subject of authenticity. This word's thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot in our society, and I want to define first exactly what we're going to mean tonight when we talk about authenticity. So when I looked it up on dictionary.com, because that's what everybody does, here's what I came up with. Authentic, not false or copied. Genuine, original, something that is real, true. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me think. It makes me think about a lot of things. But as we move forward tonight, I want us to keep in mind that this is what we're looking toward. A kingdom community of people who are not false or copied. People who are genuine, original individuals who are real and true. I think in order for us to wrap our minds around what that might look look like, we have to look back to the very beginning of this grand God story. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, And all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, 
the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Genesis 2:15 through 3:10. What a beautiful beginning to our story. God created this beautiful garden and he gave it to man. He took one of Adam's ribs and he gave him Eve so that he would never be alone, so that he would always have a helper. He gave them only one boundary. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. Things were exactly as God intended them to be. Man would care for and tend the garden. He and Eve would bring children into the world and and train them to tend and care for all of creation. I don't think that you can get more original than exactly how it was for just that brief period of time. We all know the story, though. We just read it. Satan came, he tempted, and they bit. And something in that very moment was changed forever. Things that had been wonderful and beautiful only moments before were suddenly really scary. Fear entered the world in that very moment. Adam and Eve immediately began the process of hiding, of covering up, and building a false self. The world we live in today still functions in the fear that was born in that moment. And because of that moment, all of humanity fights a battle. We all fight a battle to find our true and authentic selves. To find our way back to the garden. We don't have to look very far to see the effects of this. We all live with fear. We're all hiders, some of us better than others. This story tells us that God came to walk with Adam and Eve and he couldn't find them. He called out and they answered. We know we're naked and we're ashamed. And just like that, I see Matthew again standing there trying to hide his arm and pretend that it didn't hurt. We don't want anyone to see the hurt. We're afraid to let God see the hurt. But here's the deal. God wasn't surprised in that moment with Adam and Eve. And just like Chris and I could clearly see that Matthew's arm needed to be reset. God can see the hurt places in our souls. And he loves us too much to let us sit in that pain and hurt. He's gentle and kind and he's a good doctor. He won't force us, but he sits there waiting for us to give him an opening. The permission to reset the broken places to help us find our real and true selves. In John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now, Chris helped me to do a little Greek work, and we found that the word truth in that verse is actually a derivative of a compound Greek word that means to unconceal or unhide. So according to the Greek Something that is true is actually something that is, un, that is unhidden. Something that is fully revealed. Jesus claims to be the truth. He is the unhidden, the fully real and authentic one. Our relationship with him, creating that space that Jennifer talked about last week, is the beginning of how he unhides us. The beginning of the way he unhides things in in us. When we begin to allow him to unhide our souls, when we begin to discover our original 
or genuine design, we tap into his love for us. And his love for us is so very big. In the passage, we read that Satan used the serpent to, show, to sow thoughts into Adam and Eve that possibly God could be hiding something from them, something that was good. And Satan was going to help them find it. Today, we're still fighting that lie that God has hidden something good from us and that Satan is going to help us find it. But as we saw already, what really happened is fear and hiding entered the world. Thomas Merton, a monk from the mid-20th century, put it this way, What can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are, are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? You see, the world around us knows that something isn't quite right. If you Google the word authenticity, look up books on authenticity, search for podcasts or TED Talks about authenticity, you'll find the concept is everywhere. In preparation for this sermon tonight, I've read articles, listened to talks and read books on the topic. And I can tell you that everyone from Buddhist monks to farm housewives... Wall Street bankers to researchers, bloggers, YouTubers, Instagram personas, singers, they all have some really great things to say about authenticity. In fact, I love and try to practice many of, what, many of the things that they say in my own life. But what I noticed in many of their writings, speeches, posts, pictures, songs, was that even the, they are staging their images. Authenticity has become a brand, a new way to make money, a brand new way, but it's not really brand new to hide our true selves. We see it in everything from coffee shops to clothing, design aesthetics to food. Everyone's seeking to look unique, original, one of a kind. It even finds its way into our scientific data. We always want real unbiased, true researched, but we never want to examine the fact that maybe our biases are a little harder to put aside than what we want to admit. We want everything to be authentic and real, but what we're really settling for is a copy of someone else's ideas for what authentic is. We're we're settling for what someone else is telling us is real and true. We see this on Instagram and Facebook with the hashtags no filter, living my best life, and countless others. What's ironic is that everyone's living, hashtag living my best life looks like everyone else's. It's like one person posts something and everyone else sees it and says, oh, that's so authentic, so I should do it too. There's even a makeup line named hashtag no filter. Wait. I thought the whole purpose of makeup was to hide our flaws so that we can look better than we actually do. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that you shouldn't wear makeup or that even any of those other things are necessarily wrong or evil. But when we use them to substitute for a real authenticity that God brings, a real unhiding of our true self, we've once again bought into the lie that Satan said to Adam and Eve, in the garden. But the question is, does God ever really show us what a redeemed, real, genuine authenticity might look like? 
one that's still run by broken humans? I think he does. In the book of Acts, we see a newly formed church stumbling around, trying to figure out what it was they were supposed to be doing in this brand new kingdom dynamic. Somehow, just after being filled with the Holy Spirit, they knew to be this type of community. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Acts 4:32 through 34. Hmm. There were no needy among them. Now, I know here the book seems to be zeroing in on physical and financial needs like food, clothing, and shelter. But I think that the heart of that verse is really way bigger than that. I think it goes to the unhiding of our very souls. They shared everything that they had. Don't you think that could be incorporated into the real definition of authenticity? An unhiding? A way to find what's true and real? to share everything that we have? So how can we find and create true authenticity? How do we do this? How do we unhide our souls in such a way that we create a true, authentic community that's centered around God's kingdom rather than a copy of what everyone else is putting out there? I think we have to start by looking at the heroes of the Bible. I think we look at Abraham at Isaac, at Jacob and his sons. I think we look at David and Moses and Jonah and Paul. I think we look at their stories. We look at the fact that we even have their stories recorded. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all liars. The very beginnings of the tribes of Israel were a bunch of brothers who couldn't get along and sold one of their own into slavery. Moses murdered a man. David committed adultery and then murder to cover up his original sin. Jonah ran. Paul started out as Saul and had to be literally blinded in the middle of the road in order for God to get his attention. Sometimes I think we gloss over or romanticize these stories. But when we start to think of them as real people who lived real lives, they suddenly start to look really messy and sometimes even really sad. But their stories are there. They're in the Bible. God wanted us to have them for a reason. He included them not because they're important for us to know, though they are. But if you think very practically about some of these stories, the only way we even have them is because those people themselves recorded them. They put them in the public record. For us to see today. These people were real and they were flawed. And they each found God as he uncovered them and unhid them from themselves. All of creation is blessed because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and those 12 tribes. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments in the first five books of the Bible. David gave us the Psalms and in them a look at God's heart and his love for us. Jonah gave us a picture of God's undying faithfulness and love to a creation that so easily forgets him. 
Paul gave us two-thirds of the New Testament. God unhid each of them. He showed them their true selves. And then he created a story far better than I bet any of them could have ever imagined. I think we can also learn authenticity from kids. I think we watch them and we learn from them. Jesus told us that to enter his kingdom, we have to become like little children. So earlier this week, I texted my friend Kaylee and I asked her to help me with this sermon. You see, Kaylee helped to birth and now is the director and chief vision caster for Urban Christian Academy. It's an inner city school that we here at OTCC support. And if you don't know about them, I would highly recommend that you go check out their website. That's just my little personal, like, aside, like, plug for Kaylee. Because I'm super proud of her and all that she's doing. And I asked Kaylee if she would be willing to share just a couple quick stories that could communicate just what I mean when I say that we need to look to kids to teach us authentic community. Her first story was near and dear to my heart because it involves one of my own children. Kaylee and Dorothy, a friend of hers, used to take my kids out and do fun things with them. Usually they took them to the park or to Kaylee's grandparents' house where they got lots of candy. But occasionally they took them someplace special. And with one, when one of our sons, and I had to promise not to use his name, turned three, Kaylee and Dorothy took him out to eat at Taco Bell. Then they took him shopping at the mall to get some cool, hip clothes. Everything was going just as well as can be expected when you take a three-year-old out in public until he had to use the bathroom. So here they were, two teenage girls alone in a public bathroom with a little boy who had to poop. Now, if you know this particular son of mine, you know that he used to be fascinated with poop. He was also quite loud and vocal about that fascination. So picture these two poor girls trying to do something nice in a public bathroom with a loud little boy. Apparently this afternoon he was having a little bit of a hard time getting things done, so he felt the need to start screaming at the very top of his lungs, Get out of me! They were mortified and couldn't get out of the bathroom fast enough. But my son didn't care that they were in a crowded public restroom. He just wanted things to be more comfortable. But the reason that Kaylee really told me that story again is because she said she thinks of it often in terms of her own life. Don't we all feel stuck at times? And in those moments, we usually bang our heads against the wall over and over, doing the same things, trying to fix the same, the same old things. Until we finally hit a point where we no longer care who's listening, and we finally cry out, Get out of me! But God responds to us in those unguarded moments, and he helps us to find the truth. He helps us to dig deeper and uncover what's real and genuine. She also responded with some beautiful stories of children finding joy in the very simplest of things. Things like Fridays and friends. They're good things. 
God made Fridays and friends for us. And sometimes it takes a child to remind us that those simple things exist for our pleasure. Thinking of all the things that we overlook in our busyness that a child sees. We can take a child to the store and watch as they point out all the things that interest them. We can listen as they point out trees and clouds and buildings, animals and people. They simply know those things exist and they find great joy in them. God created us to enjoy those same things. Our true selves were meant to see those things and allow his gift of love to speak to us through even those everyday things. Kaylee also told me some stories of a little boy that's currently living with her. He loves to invite people into their home and their life. He's invited people to Christmas at her grandparents' house, birthday parties for other children. He's even invited teachers to take baths with him. Recently, after he tried to invite some extra people to a sold-out event that they had already purchased tickets to and were going to attend, Kaylee took him aside and tried to explain to him that we can't just invite extra people to things just because we love them and we want to spend time with them. But his response to her perfectly represents why I think we have to look to kids. We have to learn from them how to become authentic. Because his response was, but when friends come, love comes. He has no idea that there's certain protocols in our society that should be followed. Because all he knows is that God put him here to love each and every person that's in front of him. Isn't that where we meet Jesus? In those moments where we just love? The moments where we're able to step outside of what society tells us is right and proper. And we just see the other person for who they are. Another creation who's boundlessly loved by the very creator of the universe, just like we are. I believe in, some, in those moments, Jesus is not only there with us, but he's uncovering our true selves, and we're getting just a tiny glimpse of his original design for each of us. But if it's as easy as becoming childlike, then why don't we all live authentically? If we look to the Bible, and we look to children, and really the hundreds of other small places where we can look to see authenticity played out and being modeled, then why? Why aren't we all living life this way? And I would say that the biggest reason can be summed up in one word. Vulnerability. We have to become vulnerable. We have to become like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, Paul. And ultimately, we have to become more like Jesus. When I looked again on dictionary.com what vulnerable means, here's what I found. Vulnerable. Open to attack or criticism. Open to assault. Difficult to defend. Capable or susceptible to being wounded or hurt. Though that's a great description of the state of most children, it certainly sounds a little less fun than inviting someone to Christmas or a birthday party. A little more scary. 
Maybe that's why we ultimately hide ourselves in the first place. Maybe that's why we stage even our unfiltered selves. We don't want to risk. We don't want someone to criticize or attack us. We don't want to, we don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be hurt. You see, when Chris asked me to preach this message, I asked him why. You see, I'm horrible at this. I hate being vulnerable. I hate to be criticized. I hate getting hurt. And I would much rather stay safely holed up in a nice, safe prison I create for myself. But 15 years ago, someone who loves me put a book in my hand. And as I read that book, I began to see Jesus in a whole new way in the stories of others. I read stories of Mother Teresa and those who still carry on her work. They gave dignity to other human beings who have none. They love well. I reread the, the writings of Cory Ten Boom and I heard Jesus love again in the midst of the evils of Auschwitz. I read the story of Joseph and the stories of David and suddenly I could see nothing but love. I read Jesus as he told his followers to forgive what seemed to be an unending amount of times. There were no conditions. He wasn't looking for the perfection I'd been trying to give him. The perfection I thought he was looking for. The picture-perfect human who always perfectly obeyed and never strayed outside any of the rules. All I could see was love. It seemed as though the recurring thread, the truth, and the authenticity in each of the stories that I read was in fact that God takes horrible circumstances, mistakes, failures, and he unhides the truth in each of them. And that truth is always love. Each of these stories was beautiful and mine was a wreck. I wanted a story like theirs. I wanted a story that sang a song of love and forgiveness and hope. One that sang of grace and of healing, of miracles. One where God peeled back layer after layer and taught me who I am. What my true, authentic self looks like. And I knew as I read that book, as I began to dig into story after story, in the Bible and elsewhere, that in order for him to write my story, in order for me to allow him to unhide me, I had to learn to become vulnerable. So I stand here tonight after 15 years and I tell you I still fight. I still look for any way out so that I don't have to become vulnerable. I don't want the road, to, I don't want that to be the road to authenticity. I just want God to make me authentic. Why do I always have to be vulnerable? Chris and the kids can tell you that often when God is working on my heart, I fight back. I get angry. I get frustrated. I'm mean. I want to follow a formula and I want to make authenticity magically appear. I don't want to go through the process of allowing God to unhide another layer. You see, it's always messy, but God knows my heart, and he knows your heart, 
and our hearts are messy. In Romans 12, too, Paul tells us, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Doesn't Paul say it so well? Don't just copy what you see around you. Don't copy the things that the world says are real and authentic. Don't buy into the lie from the garden again. Let God change you from the inside out. Let him transform you. If you look up the Greek word for transformation, you'll find it's the same as the word for metamorphosis. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched a butterfly come out of its cocoon, but it's ugly and it's messy. And if you interrupt the process, they will never fly. God knows us. He wants to metamorphosize us into our true, authentic selves. It's rarely an easy process to watch or endure, but it's one that I believe is worth every step of the journey. And I believe as we, Open Table Community Church, commit to that process of transformation, God will bring others who long to step outside the lie of the garden and step into God's authentic design for community. So how do we, OTCC, create this kind of culture? If we know that in order to create a culture of authenticity, we have to become vulnerable, and we know that when we become vulnerable, God is going to transform us into something new, then we also know that to create space for others to become vulnerable and to be transformed by God, it's going to get messy. We can say all the same stuff that everyone else says about loving others right where they are and not judging people, recognizing that we are no better. But almost every church on the planet says those things, as well as most self-help gurus and countless books. Sometimes we'll get it right. Other times we'll mess it up. But what we can't compromise on is our goal to always create a community that is centered around his kingdom, a space both physically and within ourselves where God can work at a pace that allows for authentic transformation and not just a copying of our our behaviors. How do we plan to create this kind of culture? We go first. Tonight, I'm asking each of us to imagine what might happen if we were to set the culture by going first. We can only create this kind of space where people can come in and feel safe to be transformed if we ourselves go first. If we commit to showing them our vulnerable, authentic selves. If we love from a place of humility rather than a place of power if we share with them our yuck and not just our shiny, new, transformed selves. We will have to become Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, and Paul. We'll have to lay out our lies and find ways to communicate the love that will transform us. We don't have to pretend that we're through the process 
And it's okay that we don't have it all together. Everything's not always fine. Things break. People fail us. Kids disobey. People die. Tragedy strikes. Injustice happens. Our dreams will be crushed. The list could go on and on and on, and I'm sure each of you could add to it. My point, though, is that that is the beauty of allowing God to write our story. Every piece of the story, every single piece, has a purpose. And just like the butterfly might, must fight its way out of the cocoon and exercise its wings before it can fly, we will all have to struggle through our own journeys. But when we do, when we become vulnerable rather than running and hiding, God will bring life, real, true life. Over the years, I've learned If I've learned anything from my never-ending journey toward authenticity, it's these two things. One, there's always more to this journey. God knows me so much better than I know myself. And there will always be more love, more grace to learn. And two, I have to learn to set healthy boundaries so that I can be my true, authentic self. I say this because I think this is going to be incredibly important to us as a church and as individuals as we go forward. You see, our society is not great with boundaries. Years ago, Chris was a children's pastor at a church that started really small, but then grew fast enough that we were doing two services. While he still worked a full-time job laying carpet, he was helping on the youth ministry team leading worship, setting things up for their Wednesday evening services and teaching sometimes. On top of all that, he taught one night a week in Bible college. We were overstretched, never saw one another, and were miserable. Things came crashing down, which was inevitable, and the advice that was given to us was to forgive and move on. The church needed us to keep working, keep moving things forward, There was no time to own the hurt, no time to admit that we had no idea what we were doing, no time for us to admit and own that we were horribly broken. We were advised to keep things quiet because no one wanted to know that we didn't have everything together. We were in leadership. We were supposed to have it together. I stand here tonight and I tell you those people were wrong. It wasn't until... We began to speak of the hurts, not until we owned just how broken our story was that God began the miraculous process of transforming and healing us. So as I stand here and tell you the process of going first, sometimes it's going to look like saying, I can't do that. It's too much right now. And that is okay. We will stand with you. And we will love you because you each are priceless creations and we just want to be a part of watching God unhide and transform you. If you don't feel you can be vulnerable in an area or if you simply just don't want to create the space it would take, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We want to trust God's power to transform and that journey is going to look different for each and every one of us. So how do we respond to this? 
Now, this slide is really just my way of making fun of my husband for saying that every week. (laughs) But I really do want to take just a minute to think about how we might pull all this together to create a culture of authenticity, a community where it's safe for all of us to come in for a while and drop our masks, showing our true selves no matter how broken and making ourselves vulnerable to one another. Jesus gave us a beautiful picture of this when on his last night, the last night of his life, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. When the time came for him to wash Peter's feet, Peter said, No, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus' response, though, was that you can never belong to my kingdom if you don't let me wash you. At that moment, Peter was all in. In fact, he said, don't just wash my feet, wash wash all of me. He wanted to belong to this kingdom that Jesus had invited him into. Most nights when Chris and I settle together in our room, he asks me if there's any way he can serve me. And he always asks if he can rub my feet. If you know Chris very well, you know that he hates feet. So much so that for years, he joked that he only loved me from the ankles up. So for him to offer to rub my feet is a huge act of service to me. But here's the deal. 90% of the time, I tell him no. You know why? Because it's hard. It's hard to let yourself be loved. My excuses are always varied. Sometimes I tell him my feet are cold. Sometimes I'm too tired and I just want to go to sleep. Sometimes I tell him my feet are too dirty. The reality is, though, I'm Peter. I don't want him to know that I need him too. He works so very hard every day caring for so many others. And I don't want to be a burden to him. But even though it's scary, sometimes I relent. I don't think I'm as enthusiastic as Peter was when he finally gave in in to Jesus' desire to serve him. But I occasionally choose to believe that Chris actually does want to serve me. And I let him rub my feet. And weirdly enough, it's a sacrifice for me. For some reason, everything in me protests. It's hard for me just to be graced in that way. But in those moments when I allow him to rub the stress of the day out of my feet and I allow myself to become vulnerable, to be seen and loved by him, I allow myself to need him. And just like that in allowing my mask to drop, allowing myself to need some of his time and attention, we both find love. We both find a more authentic truer version of ourselves. Now, I'm not asking each of us to run around rubbing one another's feet or washing one another's feet. But what I am asking each of us is to lean into vulnerability. Ask God, what does it look like for me to not only love, but to let myself be loved? I'm asking us to lean into the fact that God didn't create us to be alone. He created us to need others who would see us and then rejoice simply because we are here. So how do you let your mask down 
How do you unhide? How do you trust the body enough to show your real, true self? It's not enough for us to say that we're open to other people coming as they are if we don't go first ourselves. If we're going to create a culture of authenticity, I believe we have to go first. I truly believe if we choose to do this, not only will it change other people's lives, but it will change each of us, transforming us more and more into the true, authentic people that God created each of us to be.